0: Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. As we're talking about this series called Origins, it's going to be a three-part series. And as we talk about Origins, let me just kind of give us the Merriman-Webster's Dictionary Uh, definition of origin it says this it's first rise beginning or derivation from a source secondly it's the point at which something begins or rises or from which it derives and third something that creates causes or gives rise to another and so the reason why we wanted to start this series is because we don't want to lose nor forget our history, how we kind of started. And why is that important? Because a lot of times when you start something, you start it with that DNA, with, with the values, the reason why we came and we started the church here. And it's so easy after several years, and as we're moving forward, I don't know how many of you know, but this coming September, in about two months, or a month and a half now, uh, we're going to be celebrating... Uh, our fifth year anniversary of our church. So it's been five years. And it's so easy, even within a five-year period, to lose some of the, the vision, to lose some of the, the history of how things got started and some of the different values that we want to keep on emphasizing in our church because we're getting new crops of people as we're growing. Praise God for that. But as we're getting new people, we need to kind of retell our story so that everyone understands how it got started and why it got started and what is it about it that makes it so unique that we have the church like this here in Hong Kong. So I'm going to just break it up into three parts. The first part is um, which I'm going to be talking about today, which is everyone. And then the second part is going to be every day. And the third part is everywhere. So those are the three parts that we want to talk about. So today I want to talk about everyone. So here is the one thing. The one thing is very simple is this. The gospel can transform anyone, so we must proclaim it to everyone. Let me say it again. That the gospel can transform anyone, so we must proclaim it to everyone. So before we go on and I look at the different points in this passage Uh, I want us to kind of break up into huddle groups. Now, uh, those of you who are part of our life group ministry, uh, your leaders probably have contacted you and they sent out a link over Zoom. There are some of you who are not part of our life group. Maybe you just recently joined us or maybe today was the first time joining us. If you will go back and if you look at uh, our website, there is a way that you can actually get into a Zoom room and then correspond and talk with other people. And there's some um, hospitality people there who would love to kind of greet you, and you can talk through some of these questions as well. So here's the huddle group. The first question is, when and how did you first participate with the HMCC of Hong Kong family? So just pretty much, how did you hear about it? How did you get a, become a part of it? And the second question is this, what are some things that compelled you to continue to stay in our church family? So those are two questions. I'm going to give you six minutes so we don't, we don't have much time. So please talk quickly and share and then we'll bring you back after six minutes. I know we've probably cut some of you off, but hopefully you had a good opportunity to share. Uh, we're going to have one more huddle group a little bit later. So hopefully you can catch up there. I'll try to give a little bit longer, maybe about seven, eight minutes because uh, once again, we value these times just to be able to interact rather than just seeing a screen with me just talking on it. So if we really believe that this gospel message can transform anyone, then we have to take the responsibility to proclaim it to every single person that God brings our into our lives. And so I want to talk about two specific things that we'll see here. So if you have your Bibles or just on your church app, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 1, verse 14 through verse 16. And so the first point that I want to make is simply this that we must be committed to the gospel. That we must be committed to the gospel. As we start off this section in Romans chapter 1, uh, we notice that Apostle Paul, he gives a greeting to the believers in Rome. And then in verse 8 through 13, he mentions that he wanted to visit the believers but something prevented him. We don't know what it is, but he was not able to go. So as he gave this greeting, explained a little bit of his desire to see them in person, but something prevented him. Then we go into verse 14. And let me just read these two verses, starting from verse 14 and 15. It says this, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. I am eager to preach the gospel to you also, who are in Rome? There are a few things that we notice as we look into this, these two verses here. Uh, I want you to see as we think about committing to the gospel, uh, what happens when you commit yourself to the gospel. The first thing that you will notice is that the gospel will motivate us. The gospel motivates us. In verse 14, as we have just read, we notice the word obligation. And this word obligation is translated as debtor or someone who is bound by some duty. So that word obligation, when you study it, it means debtor or someone who is bound to some duty. Now the question is this, why does does Paul feel indebted or obligated to these people, to these Greeks and barbarians and the foolish and to the wise the Apostle Paul is not saying that these people, the Greeks or the barbarians or the wise or the foolish, that they did something for him, so now they feel obli- Now he feels obligated to do something for them. Now, the reason why this is important for us to understand is that this is the human paradigm that so many of us here in Asia, we operate under. So if someone buys us dinner, then we feel obligated then to pay them back. If someone helps us with something, then we feel obligated to do something back for them. So this is just a human paradigm that says that if someone does something, I I am obligated now to do something for them. That's why you will see a lot of people, and especially Asian families, who will not go out of their way to do certain things because they don't want to be obligated or they don't want to obligate somebody else. And so once again we need to be clear here that Paul is not saying that he is obligated to them because something that they did for him. So then what is it? Why is this word of being a debtor or this idea of bound to somebody by some kind of duty, what Apostle Paul is trying to say is that he is indebted and that he owes his life to God and to do the will of God. Because it was God who showed him the grace and it was God who called him to do what he's doing. So what he's saying is this, these people, that's part of my calling. The, the, the areas that I'm going to go and share the gospel, sharing the gospel, the actively sharing the gospel, that is part of what God has given to me by his grace. That he saved me, he rescued me, he redeemed me. And now I am obligated to share this gospel message to all these different people that God will bring my way. So when you think about Paul before coming to know Christ, you realize that every time he considers it, every single time he remembers how he came to know Christ, who he was before he came to Christ, he always speaks in a manner that is humble. He always speaks in a way that is in awe in amazement of who God is because he realized there was nothing that he was able to do to save himself. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 10, I'm going to read it from the voice translation. Listen to what it says and read the yellow sections out loud with me. Will you do that? It says, today I am who I am because of God's grace and I have made sure that the grace he offered me was not been wasted has not been wasted. I have worked harder, longer, and smarter than all the rest, but I realize it is not me. It is God's grace with me that has made the difference. Did did you see that? Like every single time he is considering and thinking about just his life and his calling and what Jesus has done, he realized there was nothing that he did. If there's anything good as he works and serves it's because God is the one who gives him the energy. It's God who empowers him. You, if you remember, even to the Roman believers, as he thinks about all that God has done, uh, the challenge is: Can we sacrifice? Can we surrender our lives as a living sacrifice, as a worship to God? That's why later on in Romans chapter 12, verse one. I'm going to read it in the Amplified Version. It says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves, set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. The Living Bible says this, When you think of what He has done for you, is it too much to ask? So think about that for a moment. What he's saying is that when you ponder upon all the mercies of God in your life, the the most reasonable, most logical, and most intelligent thing you can do is to offer yourselves to say, God, my whole life is yours. Anything else is illogical. But in our world today, we think of it completely differently. And a lot of it is because we don't value the gospel. We have forgotten what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. This is the reason why some of you right now are in the midst of a decision. Some of you are going through things in your life and you're wondering, is it really worth living this Christian life? Is it really worth persevering in faith and trusting that God will answer? Is it really worth trying to live in holiness and purity before God? And a lot of times when we think that, we have forgotten the gospel message. Because every time Paul thinks about the gospel message, it motivates him. And he continues to commit to this gospel again and again. Because this is the thing that empowers him and strengthens him. When we begin to understand this more and more in our lives, then our motivation in everything that we do will be different. No longer will we be doing things for God in a very selfish means or selfish reason. We're not going to be doing things out of obligation in the sadistic way where we're like, oh man, if I don't do this, God's going to punish me. In fact, it liberates you. It frees you. When you think about Jesus Christ dying on the cross and he has forgiven you, he has redeemed you, he has saved you. And when you ponder upon that, you realize that the reasonable thing I could do now is, God, here's my whole life. Do whatever you want with it. I trust in you. Because you have given your best, your one and only son. Why would you not provide for all other things? Paul's sense of obligation was from this experience of the gospel that he experienced for himself and that calling that God gave to him to preach this gospel. That's why this motivation of just even in the context of sharing the gospel has to be rooted in your experience of the gospel. That's why many of us who have a hard time sharing the gospel or to proclaim the gospel is because we haven't experienced it in a deep way. We haven't saturated ourselves to understand how sinful and depraved we are. We haven't thought about what the amount of cost, the life that Jesus gave on our behalf. That should have been us. On the cross. That's why in Second Corinthians chapter five, verse fourteen and fifteen, in the Passion translation, it says this. Read the yellow sections with me. It says this: For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us, because we are absolutely convinced that He has given His life for all of us. This means all died with Him, so that those who live shall should no longer live self-absorbed lives but lives that are poured out for him, the one who died for us and now lives again. Like this gospel message, it fuels us. It motivates us to do what we do, especially in our calling. How about us this morning? Does the gospel motivate you in this way? To live your life for him and him alone? Does it motivate you in the decisions you make? Does it motivate you in the way you love people, relate with people? Does does it motivate you to not to cheat or to do things even in your company that might be dishonoring to God or to ruin your witness? Does it motivate you to be able to maybe what seems so illogical to the world, it makes sense to you because who Jesus is, and what he's requiring of us. It frees us to be able to obey and to love him in that way. So as we're talking about committing to the gospel, if we really believe this commitment that we need to the gospel, because we believe that it motivates us, you know what else it does? It moves us. It moves us into action. It moves us from in our hearts, in our minds, the volition of the will. Look at verse 15. The verse 15, it says this, a phrase. It says, so I am eager. Do you see that phrase, so I am eager? That phrase is translated as, so as much as in me is, I am ready. What a great translation of that. What Paul is saying is that for his part, that the things that he has to do, he says, I'm ready. Now, I don't know how many of you actually say that you're ready for anything. You know, some of you know that uh, you you can call a taxi uh, from your apartment or whatever, and they'll be there at a certain time or they try to give you estimation. Uh, Some of us use Uber and other apps. And I'm telling you right now, it it is sometimes very difficult to try to guesstimate the time. Because they can say five minutes, but it's really six or seven. Or it could come earlier and it will be like three, uh, three minutes, and then it will come. But it's so difficult because sometimes then later on they charge you for waiting fee. I'm like, oh my goodness, why are they charging me for waiting fee? But the point I'm trying to make is this, that when you think about being ready, is that whenever that situation or opportunity arises, or opportunities arise, the question that I have for all of us is, are you ready? Because when you're committed to the gospel, not only does it motivate you to do the things that God has called you to do, but it's gonna move you so that you will respond when that opportunity comes. So this is what Paul is saying, that he is ready and eager to preach the gospel to people in Rome, even though there was opposition and persecution and sometimes we forget that when we read some of these books in the Bible that they were in a situation that was very difficult even when I think about this whole online uh, I, I was excited when we were able to come back together when they allowed us the 50 percent capacity and then it increased and then it went back to online and now we just shrunk it down to only two people and I'm just realizing like I wasn't ready for this I think for a lot of us, we weren't ready for this. But the thing is that when you're committed to the gospel, because you know that it's not so much how it's being communicated, but as long as it's communicated and the message is consistent, we always have to be ready. Are you ready? Are you ready to move? If God tells you he wants you to talk to that person, if God spoke to you this coming week and He says, I want you to step out in faith, I want you to obey in this area. Are you ready to move? When you're committed to the gospel, then you will be ready to move forward as God moves you. The Apostle Paul was moved by the gospel, and he knew that he needed to proclaim it to as many people as possible, to every single person that he will encounter. And this was not for his own boasting, but it was all for God. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16 in the NIV, listen to what it says. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled, everyone say compelled, compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. In the contemporary English version, it says this. I don't have any reason to brag about preaching the good news. Preaching is something God told me to do, and if I don't do it, I'm doomed. I'm wondering if some of us have this kind of perspective. Like I'm so committed to the gospel that if I don't share it, if I don't proclaim it, if I don't declare it, then I'm doomed. The other translation says woe is to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. If the gospel can transform anyone, then we have to proclaim it to everyone. I'm just wondering where we are right now as a church and even for some of us, shouldn't this be our story? That we had this encounter with the gospel message, that it motivates us now in the things that we do. Getting up in the morning, we're motivated because there are people who haven't heard the gospel yet. We go to work. And we go there motivated because there are people, this is our mission field. You don't need to go to another country. You don't need to go thousands of kilometers away. That is your mission field. That you're able to go to your school and realize there's a whole vast generation of people who are so lost without Christ. This is our story. I'm wondering if you've experienced the gospel in this powerful way, that now it motivates you and moves you to be ready to do his will. I'm wondering when was the last time you were eager to proclaim, just like Paul. We must be committed to the gospel because God is gonna motivate us and move us as we understand the gospel message more and more. I wanted to go ahead and give us a, a short time here to just go into huddle groups and just kind of think about what was just shared. Uh, And I know we're all at different spiritual journeys. Uh, Some of us, we might be growing a lot. Some of us, we're just checking out Christianity. But I want to just encourage us as you break up into smaller groups just to have some honest sharing and share from your heart. And the couple questions that I have for you is this uh, first question is, why is it easy to forget what our true motivation should be when it comes to serving God? And secondly, what hinders a person from being ready and eager to proclaim the gospel. So let me go ahead and give you a seven minutes and discuss those two questions. Make sure everyone has an opportunity to share and then we'll come back. Just look at your screen and the timer will be there. So have a great time. We'll come back after seven minutes. Welcome back. I hope you had a good time of just sharing some of those thoughts and things from your heart. Once again, I wanna close out with this last point And as we've been talking about this idea of this gospel message, if it can really transform anyone, doesn't matter who you are, then we have this responsibility to be able to proclaim it to every single person. And so I want to go into the second point and last point, is not only must we be committed to the gospel, but we have to be convinced of the gospel. We have to be thoroughly convinced of the gospel. Let me go ahead and read this last verse. And it says this in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. When we start off in here in verse 16, I want you to notice that word for. Because what Paul is doing, he's connecting verse 14 and 15 together with this verse 16. So that's why these three verses kind of go together. After Paul makes this declaration in verse 15 that he's so eager to preach because he's committed to the gospel, he's motivated by the Spirit of God, he's motivated by this gospel, he's moved and ready to go. And the reason why, as he knows in his mind there will be opposition that he's going to face in Rome. But it says here that he is not ashamed of the gospel. And the reason why he's not ashamed, because he says here, it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. I want you to look at the word power. The word power comes from the word dunamis, which refers to this inherent power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. So what it's saying is this that it is this power that a person or thing exerts or puts forth. So when it says it is the power of God, what is that power? It's the gospel. The gospel that we are committed to, the gospel that we are absolutely convinced, there is no other name under heaven in which we must be saved. When we are convinced, then it is that gospel that has the inherent power to move us, motivate us, to transform us. And so Paul is saying that the gospel in this inherent power of God, working in the salvation of people who will trust and believe in this message. As I mentioned earlier, he experienced this for himself. So he knows what he's talking about. There are some of us here who go to church every single Sunday. You grow up going to church. And it's so easy to know a lot of the stuff up here, but you don't know it down in your heart and in your life. And I know that could be very frustrating for some of us. And this is the problem when you have so much head knowledge, you know what to say, you know what to do, but your life is not being changed. And I think this comes back down to trusting and saying, God, I cannot change myself. There's no power within me. That's why meditate and gaze long at the cross, of who Jesus is, what he has done in your life and in my life. And as you begin to think about it, you realize, wow, there's no one on on this earth who would do what Jesus did on my behalf. And so here he is as he encountered this power of God in the salvation that came on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. God now is powerfully changing not only people like Paul, but he's changing many of you. He has changed me and he's still changing me in different ways. He's changing people around you, people in your life group, people that you know that are followers of Jesus Christ who understand this gospel message more and more. I was just thinking back to our church back in 1996. And even just within those few years, 1996, 97, 98, just in the, in, as we're, we're slowly approaching the big Year 2000 what was it? the year that everything was going to collapse. I just remember in those three, four years of our church when we got started there, like the Spirit of God was moving powerfully. There were times when we would just be worshiping and as we we're worshiping, it almost felt as if the presence of God just kind of just sat right in that room with us. There, was, there there were some powerful moments where the Spirit was exposing and revealing areas of sin it was leading people to repentance and as they were repenting they began to see the gospel for what it was not in the sunday school thing but it was truly this gospel this cross this is what i need is for me and people experiencing forgiveness and the shame and all the guilt being wiped away from their lives if you've ever experienced that you begin to experience great joy that comes and even if those people who didn't know how to sing or they were not singing on key, they were just, they didn't care. They were just belting it out. And I think about some of the retreats that we had. And even just some of the gatherings, the simple gatherings, and when the spirit, I could just tell, was moving in the hearts of people, even after, even as I was preaching and after that Sunday celebration or Friday night, whenever we had those gatherings, there would be people coming up wanting to receive prayer. It was awesome just being able to see people just in our congregation who just started turning towards one another and asking for prayer, and they're praying with one another. They're gathering together in smaller groups. They were gathering in their life groups and say, hey, let's pray about what we just heard, and we want to live it out. And I don't know what it is. Those are the kind of things that I, I long for, that I hope and pray that we will be able to experience this here in Hong Kong. I think we have gotten glimpses. But I feel like there's so much more that we can experience. But for us to experience that, we have to be thoroughly convinced that this gospel message is the only means of salvation. It's this gospel message that's going to break some of your addictions in your life. This gospel message is the only thing that's going to transform you, renew your mind, even just heal some of the brokenness in your life. It has to be the gospel. There is no other way. Unless you are thoroughly convinced that it's going to be very difficult to commit to it and then to be motivated and moved by the Spirit to do things. And this idea that a person is saved through the message of the cross and how we need to repent and turn away from our sins and turn to Christ, it makes no sense to those people that God is not illuminating. To the world out there, it makes no sense. How do I know that? Because think about what Paul was saying to the people in Rome. Back in the biblical times, at this time in the book of Romans, you will notice that Rome had the strongest military might. They were like the world power during that time. And they focused a lot on strength, power. But think about the gospel message. It's about being weak. That this Messiah who was supposed to conquer and rule, he actually died on the cross which was a criminal death. It's not someone who's strong. It's someone who's weak. Someone who's a criminal. But that's where God flipped everything around. That's why Paul wrote to the people of Corinth, who also struggle with this power, wisdom. And what does it say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 to 25 in the ESV? Listen to what it says. It says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, come on, read this with me, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than man. It's God's wisdom and his power that the world cannot understand. But we do because God has illuminated to us. That should cause us to be humble, to pray, to seek his face. Are you convinced of the gospel in your life? Do you see areas of your life where the gospel can at least address it and speak to you about it? In terms of belief and trust, that's a whole different issue, but to be able to at least see the gospel right in front of you. I think for many of us, when we think about being convinced with this gospel message, every single one of us, we have a responsibility to, sh- to proclaim and to be able to declare this gospel message. In fact, one of our values in our church is evangelism to be able to share your life with others around you and the hope that you have. Listen to what John Cheeseman said. I think this is a good quote. Just listen to what he says because this is the problem that I see so often with many of us in the church is that we either get really scared in proclaiming the gospel message. So we don't do it at all. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to talk about Jesus. So when they go, whoa, what did you do this weekend? Oh, nothing. Oh, I just watched a um, movie or something. But y- y- you were at an all-night prayer. I don't know. You were doing all this other stuff. But you don't, you're so afraid to share. Because you're not convinced yet of the gospel message that it's the power of God. You're not com- uh, committed to this gospel message because you haven't seen it work in your life. And so some of us, we go to the other extreme, don't we? We We love results. So we keep on sharing our lives, proclaiming the gospel. But then what happens when people don't respond? We get discouraged as if everything rested on us. And it doesn't. It's the power of God. So it's God's work in that person's life. All he's asking you to open your mouth, live your life and open your mouth and to declare and to proclaim the message of the good news. So listen to what he says. And I think this is going to be helpful for many of us. John Cheeseman says in his book, The Grace of God in the Gospel. He writes this, evangelism is not persuading people to make a decision. Huh, I want you to just park on that first phrase. That's not what evangelism is, he's saying. It's not about persuading people to make a decision. Because that's very contrary, because a lot of us, we believe they have to make a decision. But let's continue, listen to what it says. It is not proving that God exists or making out a good case for the truth of Christianity. It is not inviting someone to a meeting or a church event. Many of us are good at inviting people to life groups. It is not exposing the contemporary dilemma or arousing interest in Christianity. It is not wearing a badge saying, Jesus saves. Thank God, please don't do that. Some of these things may be right and good in their place, but none of them, should be confused with evangelism. To evangelize is to declare on the authority of God what he has done to save sinners, to warn men of their lost condition, to direct them to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe somewhere along the line, we got this evangelism and as we're convinced of this gospel, maybe we got it all wrong. So many of you as we're looking ahead to even OCR. Many of us are thinking about, oh, invite them into our Zoom meeting or invite them to this particular thing. That's not really evangelism. I'm not saying that it's wrong. I think you have to start somewhere. But don't think that just because you invite somebody and say, okay, now pastor, you take care of them or leader, here you are. I brought all these people. It is proclaiming and declaring the authority of God that every single person, they are lost without Christ, that they need to repent and turn from their sinful ways and put their full trust and belief in Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. I'm wondering how many of us actually are so convinced of this that we can share this just from, naturally from our, our lives. Even when you think about some of your friends who are going through some struggles. You don't have to beat them over the head with the Bible. You don't have to preach to them. But can you share the gospel from your life? What you've experienced? How you felt helpless? How one time in your life there was no hope? How there were situations that were beyond your control? But that God showed you how weak you were, but how strong he was. How sinful you were. And still are. But God is pure and loving. We have to be convinced of the gospel. So by mentioning that it's for the Jews and the Gentiles, it affirms that God is for all people. Regardless of race, nationality, background, it doesn't matter. The good news is for everyone. Not only is it everyone to be able to share it and proclaim it, but it's for everyone to hear it and to have an opportunity to hear the gospel message. That's why Mark chapter 16, verse 15 of the International Standard Bible says this. Then he told them, as you go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to everyone. Whoever God brings your way, that's everyone. He's not asking you to share it over there or over there, but those people that are around you, that he brings your way. That's why we still do missions, because there are people who have yet to hear. And so some of us are called to go to some of these places, but every single day that they're in your workplace, every single day they're in your neighborhood, in your apartment complex. That's my challenge. Do do you know your neighbor? I felt so bad uh, not too long ago this past week. Uh, Our next-door neighbor... uh, she was in the elevator and I just didn't even recognize her and she doesn't speak English very well and I don't speak Cantonese or Chinese she I, I know she's spoken both to her husband and her children but I in that moment I just couldn't and I, I could tell like after the fact that she felt really embarrassed because we've been neighbors for what five years And afterwards, after I said, okay, we'll see you later, I opened up my door, she opened up her door, and then I went to the room, and I I just said, Lord, forgive me. That we've been neighbors for five years, and I could blame it on language, but I was thinking, are there ways that we we could still love that family? Find different ways. So once again, it's to share the gospel to everyone that God brings that are within your little circle. And then you'll notice as Paul understood this, as he was committed and convinced of the gospel, even your ambitions will begin to realign. I don't know if you know this or not, but Paul had a holy ambition and it was to preach the gospel message to new places that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 15, verse 20 in the NIV, listen to what it says. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Listen to some of these other translations of that phrase, the beginning phrase. And thus I aspire to preach the gospel. The New King James Version says this. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel And the Passion Translation says this, It is my honor and constant passion to be a pioneer who preaches where no one has ever heard of the Anointed One. If we really believe that this gospel can transform anyone, then we have to proclaim this gospel to everyone. So once again, are you convinced of this gospel? Are you committed to this gospel? You know, just recently I've been thinking a lot. I don't know, maybe I'm getting into this downhill kind of mindset, and I was just thinking, well, I don't know how much longer I'm gonna live. And please, by the way, try not to read too much on the Web MD. It will scare the living daylights out of you. Cause I was just checking up some stuff and I'm like, oh my God, I might have this, I might have this, and uh that's a little side comment but anyway I was just thinking about my life and I said I don't know how long my race will be it could be tonight it could be next week it could be 10 years from now 20 years from now who knows God is the author of life and he's the one who will take us home and as I was thinking about this I said what would what do I want to see when my race is done All I know is I want to be able to finish my race. The things that God has given me as a task for me to accomplish for his glory. It's going to be different for you because he gives each one of us different things for us to do and we live at different times and different lengths. But how do you want to finish your race? We know that Paul, as he was so passionate about all these things, he says something towards the end of the book of Acts that helps us to realize that he was a finisher. He says in Acts chapter 20, verse 40, 24, I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version and just read those yellow sections with me. It says, But I do not consider my life as something of value or dear to me, so that I may with joy finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify faithfully of the good news of God's precious undeserved grace, which makes us free of the guilt of sin and grants us eternal life. Listen to the Passion Translation. I've been reading the Passion Translation a lot and it's been really giving me some great insights. Listen to what it says. But whether I live or die, it is not important. For I don't esteem my life as indispensable. It's more important for me to full, fulfill my destiny and to finish the ministry my Lord Jesus has assigned to me, which is to faithfully preach the wonderful news of God's grace. I hope all of us understand that you and I were dispensable. May we never think that we're invincible because the frailty of the humanity of who we are. Anything could happen. And therefore, because we don't know when that will be, I pray that we will be committed to the gospel, thoroughly convinced that even some of your ambitions and the things that we're trying to do as a church and things that God is calling you to do in your life, in the workplace or wherever else it may be, that you will do it because of the gospel. And because of Jesus Christ. If you look at Charles Spurgeon, in his book, Lectures to My Students, he says something that I think this is kind of like my heart and I want to share with you. He says this, With all that you can do, your desires will not be fulfilled. For soul winning is a pursuit which grows upon a man or a woman. The more he is rewarded with conversions, the more eager he becomes to see greater numbers born unto God. Hence, you will soon discover that you need help if many are to be brought in. The net soon becomes too heavy for one pair of hands to drag to shore when it is filled with fishes. And you, fellow helpers, must be beckoned to your assistance. Great things are done by the Holy Spirit when a whole church is aroused to sacred energy. Contemplate at the outset the possibility of having a church of soul winners. Labor to gather a church alive for Jesus. Every member energetic to the full and the whole in in incessant activity for the salvation, salvation of men. When I was reading this, I realized this is my heart to you. If we only have a small group of people, whether it's the leaders or some of the committed members, and we're trying to fish, and as we're catching all these fish, but it's too heavy for us to carry in, then we're going to lose some people who need the gospel message. I pray that all of us, as we think about this gospel message, because this is how our church got started. It's about many of us who experience the gospel in such a powerful way. And not only were we convinced, but we were committed to this gospel. That's why we came to Hong Kong. It's to see a church like this, to be able to reach out to many people around the world. There will come a time in the future, one of these days, maybe God will call some of you to get out of your comfort zone and go to places that might not be comfortable, that might be foreign, that you're gonna to have to give up a lot of things, but because you're convinced of the gospel and committed to the gospel that you will go because your life has been transformed and now you wanna proclaim it to every single person. So the one thing, once again, is that the gospel can transform anyone, so we must proclaim it to everyone. I'm just gonna give us quick things here to think about, and then I wanna close with this quick uh, this video that kind of gives a highlight of what happened in my life and also in my wife's life as we started the church in HMCC of Ann Arbor. The first thing that I wanna encourage you with is be more amazed at the gospel. I don't know how that's gonna be for you, but just spend some time just being amazed at the gospel. Every time you make a mistake, be amazed that God doesn't kill you, that God doesn't banish you away. He gives you a second chance. He forgives you. He loves you. Just be amazed at that and praise him. Thank him for it every single day. Second thing is be more appreciative of your story. God's writing your story. And be thankful. Appreciate the story that he's writing. It's not perfect in your eyes, but in God's eyes, he knows what he's doing. So be thankful. Appreciate what he's doing. The third thing is be more active in his story. God's redemptive story. Some of us are living for ourselves. It's so obvious. You're not thoroughly convinced of the gospel, nor are you fully committed to the gospel because you're committed and you're convinced of your selfishness. What would it be like if you would stop focusing on yourself about your career, your future, and maybe just say, God, I want to stop. What is it? What is on your heart? I'm wondering if there will be doors that will open that you've never imagined before. But you make it so much about you, you hold on to things of this world that even if God were to give you something, you have no other hands to receive it. Hold it lightly. And you might have to release some of these things to allow God then to give you the things That he wants to give unto you. So be more active. Get involved. Say no to certain things. Say yes to other things. And lastly, be more ambitious for God's kingdom. I wasn't sure if I should share it, but I just said, you know what? I'm going to use that word. We're going to redeem it. Being ambitious for God's kingdom. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We saw this in the book of Romans chapter 15 when Paul says, It is my ambition to preach the gospel to where it's never been preached before. That's a holy ambition. What would it be like if some of us had ambition that was centered on the kingdom of God? Because many of your ambition is about you. It's about your little kingdom. And that's why you can't see anything beyond that. But what if your ambition was a holy ambition that was connected to the gospel and to those who are lost? So with that in mind, before we close out with the song, I want us to watch this video. This let me give a, a little a primer, I guess, a cue to introduce the video. When we were ready to leave in 2015, uh, the church back in Michigan where we started, my wife and I, we started the church. Uh, they made this video uh, about our story. Uh, HMCC. But one of the things that I've been sharing a lot ever since the beginning is it's not about us. It's really our story. It started in Michigan. It went to other places around the world. And back in 2015, God started the story here in Hong Kong. And I pray that as you watch this, it will give you a little bit of the origins, a little bit of the small beginnings and how things kind of turned out. Let me just give you a warning. There's a person there who had a lot more hair, uh, a little bit skinnier, and so it might look surprisingly different. But just listen to the story and how God brought two people together to be able to start this journey and the story of HMCC. So let's close out with this together. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.